Welcome back to the 123 Show with me, Noreen Mayer, on this Friday afternoon. Since it's Friday, it really is my favourite time of the week because it's time for the Agenda Cafe. And I'd like to welcome back to the programme our wonderful co-host, Karen Ko. Karen, it's great to see you. How are you? I'm great, Noreen. Uh, enjoying this sort of rainy Friday, but I'm nice and cosy and warm and dry, so that's good. And happy to be here with you, of course. Yes, every Friday. I love the Agenda Cafe. And we are live this afternoon on Facebook as well, so if our listeners want to be viewers, uh, feel free to join us. Uh, Noreen Mayer on RTHK Radio 3. We're up and running, and we've got a really big topic this afternoon. Yeah, so I'm really excited about this. This is a topic I've I've actually been thinking about for quite a few years. You know, I have these ideas that stew in my brain for a while. And it's all about superheroes and other fictional characters and how they serve as role models for us. I mean, normally as children, because that's normally when you're introduced to a superhero. But of course, as you grow up as well. And I'm really curious to, to ask about do they actually make good role models? How do they influence us? And on the downside, do they often feed gender stereotypes? Because when you look at the superheroes that come to mind, Superman, Batman, they're usually something man, right? They are, they look a certain way, you know, they're all muscular, they're strong, they have a square jaw, they're handsome. They don't, necessarily represent a great diversity but but of course that's changing so these are like some of the ideas we're going to explore today and we're delighted to have with us dr jason co jason is uh, assistant professor in the academy of film at baptist hong kong baptist university so jason welcome to the program well thanks for having me back well it's great to have you and i have to ask both of you noreen and jason first of all who were your superheroes growing up and why? So, Jason, why don't you go first and tell us? Uh, I have a sappy answer. My superhero was my mother. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that just melt the, melt the audience. Just kidding. No, it was Superman. No, I'm just kidding. Actually, it was my mother. No, I, I, and I, I think a lot of that ha does have to do with the fact that I grew up as a sort of racial minority in the United States. You know, so there's no superhero that looks like me, right? And then, um, of course, you could always be like, oh, you know, I like Bruce Lee or something like that. But then it's like, I don't want to fit that stereotype. You know, I, I had enough of people asking me if I know Kung Fu and that kind of thing. So, right. you know, right. So, you know, when you think about what is superhuman, you know, what does it mean to have a supernatural ability? And my mother, you know, as a single mother taking care of two kids, you know, running her own business. For me, that was supernatural. There's something incredible about that that I look up to as a sort of role model. Yeah. Yeah. So wow. that would be my super superhero. That's At amazing. Least, yeah, but that's that's not fictional. So I don't know if that counts. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I hope she's listening. <laughs> I doubt we'll it. Have to, we'll have to, <laughs> Too busy. We'll have, we'll have to send this to her later. Uh, yeah. um, that's really interesting. Um, and then Noreen, what about you? Yeah. Did you have a superhero that you loved growing up. I have to say, I didn't really have um, a, a supermodel role model. I, I would have to say it would be my grandma, you know, copying Jason's um, answer. And growing up, I remember my mom used to say, you know, they, they're not real. They're just cartoons. When you have like a parent telling you that these aren't real, then you sort of see reality in, in the real way. Um, but I did enjoy cartoons like Sailor Moon, for example. You know, those were 
those were the, the the types of things that we grew up in in, in Hong Kong. You know, it's very sort of Japanese influence. I remember mm. boys my age would would watch a Dragon Ball, for example, mm. um, right. and uh, it was quite violent, to be honest. But there was a real sense of justice. You know, there was a real sense of what was right and what was wrong. And I think we'll, we'll probably discuss that as we go yeah. on in, in the themes, and and it instills that you know those values in you as children. I think. Yeah, for for better or for worse. And what about for you, Karen? Who, who was your sort of uh, superhero? So, so I I was when I was growing up. You know, I would come home from school and probably sit in front of the TV for a couple of hours after homework. And there were two female characters who I think really I was really taken with. One, of course, was Wonder Woman of the. The Linda Carter Wonder Woman of the 1970s, and I think she was on. She might have been on every day, or if not, once a week. And I really loved her because she was beautiful, and she was she could run fast, and she was really skilled with her lasso, and she was always getting the bad guys. So she was one, and that was a, not an animated. That was the live action series. And the other one who I really liked was the Bionic Woman. I don't know whether either of you saw the Bionic Woman. So the Bionic Woman show was an offshoot of the Six Million Dollar Man, and it was all about this woman. She was a tennis pro. She had a skydiving accident with her boyfriend, who was the Six Million Dollar Man, and he, to save her life, begged his boss to. You know, make her a su super person, meaning she had a bionic ear, so she could hear very long distances from far Amazing. away. And she had a bionic arm, so she could throw stuff really strongly. And she had two bionic legs, so she could run, uh, you know, over sixty miles an hour. And she got in. She then became a spy and had all these adventures. And she she was kind of a sensitive character, uh, but she looked human. You know, so she looked quite normal from the outside. And I think the 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 hook was always that when she came up against the bad guys, she just looked like quite a normal, you know, very um, unassuming woman. But she had this incredible strength and and these powers. So she was those two were kind of my, the superheroes that that I admired growing up. Not that they looked like me at all, yeah. but I think I I more admired what they could do rather than. The way that that they looked. Did it bother so, you that they didn't look like you, or did did you even question it? Cause no, because growing up, because nobody nobody looked like me yeah. on TV when I was growing up. I grew up in Australia. Everybody was white. Yeah. Um, many of them still are. So, so it didn't really at that point even occur to me. But maybe that's just when you're a kid uh, back then. That was just what was there, and so you just absorbed it all. Um, so yeah, so those are those are my superheroes. Um, so Jason, I wanted to ask you when you when you think about superheroes as a concept, what what's their purpose? You know, why why do we have them? Why do they persist and endure for for so long? That's a great question. I mean, um, I did a little bit of research on it, you know, just but you know, the the concept of superhero, the term superhero itself is actually rather new. It actually came out in the 1910s, 1920s, and uh, over various periods of time, you know, uh, comic book kind of uh, companies like Marvel and DC have tried to trademark the term superhero, oh. right? But at the same time, you know, uh, the the idea of a sort of narrative trope of a hero, right? Whether hero or heroine, right? Who has supernatural powers, 
or is kind of uh, outstanding in some sort of way uh, is obviously rather old, you know, um, and are uh, a part, a big part of myths, you know, uh, whether that's in, you know, uh, in Asia, such as like Hanuman or the Monkey King, right, Sun Wukong, or whether that's like, you know, in Mesopotamia, the oldest civilization that we know of anyway, like Gilgamesh. And a lot of these have influenced as a sort of narrative type over time, like a sort of genre where the previous form of the hero has then influenced the next iteration and the next iteration. So, you know, there's this kind of ongoing influence and there's been some studies, you know, uh, one example is uh, Joseph Campbell. He's an anthropologist, kind of literary theorist. And he made an argument that all of these myths are pretty much the same. And he called it the monomyth, right? So mono like singular. And the idea is that there is, um, and his book was called The Hero with a Thousand Faces. And his argument was that in every single cultural group, there is a similar type of hero that is called to action, right, in order to go on some sort of journey to save his people. And usually it's a he, right, according to Joseph, Ooh. Joseph Campbell. And, um, and usually that, that story follows a certain type of narrative trajectory where the person first does not know that they have superpowers and then is greeted with some super supernatural. And then they are kind of um, called to action and they refuse it. And then they go and then they go through these trials and they receive some sort of, um, I think, like some sort of uh, trophy or something that they bring back to the people to save, save everyone, like whether that's like the rain so that it'll start to rain again or something like that. Um, and so in today's superhero stories, you you have a similar type of thing, you know, um, where uh, they call it like a Genesis story, right? Or an origin story. Right. Or how did this superhero get their powers, right? And then how were they mentored to go through that? So you see the same sort of storyline. Now, um, some of the theories behind that are, are that, you know, they're really what they call like buildings roman stories or like childhood kind of growth stories about how to grow up. You know, and so the really the story about becoming a superhero is not so much about like developing superpowers, but so much about becoming an adult, becoming mature, assuming a sort of responsibility that you're supposed to have. So, you know, uh, that's one way to think about these kinds of myths. But then, you know, um, as people, as folklorists and stuff like that kind of go on further, they start to say that Joseph Campbell is generalizing too much, mm. right? How can you say that every single culture is the same, that every single kind of um, storyline will be the same, you know? And so lately, there's been more talk about how every single hero, even though they might have a general kind of storyline, they speak to the specificities of their moment, of their kind of contemporary context, right? So I think... Uh, a really great that's a really great segue to think about what we want to talk about today which is are superheroes different today than they were 10 years ago or 15 right. years ago do they reflect our current context in a different way yeah. are they really the same hero or is it a different kind of hero for a different kind of society yeah i mean if you if i think about the superheroes that and then the stories the narratives and the storylines that were presented when i was growing up it was normally the superhero was good and was fighting evil or the superhero had superpowers so they could help the helpless. Do you think right. that's basically still the same? I mean, I don't think so. But, uh, you know, I think it, it really depends, you know. I mean, let, let's take, for example, right, the the most, uh, the biggest blockbuster, right, the Avengers, right? Right. And then, you know, the, and that's finally ending. Although with these kind of superhero stories, they never end, right? <laughs> Especially right. when it's owned by a huge multinational conglomerate, right? But, um. In that story, what I think is interesting is, and it reflects, if you really, if you look at, okay, if you look at the myths, 
you know, um, they actually go on for a long time. And in the beginning, it's usually that same story. They gain some superpower. They, they save the day. They end the villain. They save the people. Right. But then as the stories go on, they start to reveal their frailties, their vulnerabilities. So they go through, you know, there's always part two where they fail <laughs> and then part three, then they return. Right. <laughs> so but then the vulnerabilities that you have with, you know, these kind of Avengers characters, for example, is that uh, they engage and they allegorize our present day contemporary context. So, for example, with the Captain America series, it's perhaps America is corrupt. Perhaps it's not what's outside that's wrong, but what's inside, you know, and then you see that with um, also with, let's say, like Black Panther, where he begins to realize that it's not, you know, the outside that's doing evil, but there's sins within the past of their own society that needs to be dealt with. Right. So I, I, I tend to see that I think I think at least that contemporary audiences are looking for vulnerability, are looking for some sort of drama where there's an acknowledgement acknowledgement that these characters are not perfect, that they may have superpowers, but at the end, they still want that kind of drama, you know? Um, mm. And I think also because we've been inundated with so much superhero stories, people want something different that we're still going back to. We want drama. <laughs> we want we, we want some sort of contemporary critique or commentary. Yeah, that makes me think of Frozen, for example. I mean, you know, I, I don't know if, if people have seen Frozen, our listeners. I'm sure if not, you've heard the song. Um, and a lot of it isn't really about helping the poor or sort of helping the less unfortunate. We're seeing the vulnerabilities and that inner conflict uh, without giving too much away um, of, 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 of Elsa. And it's a sort of different type of superhero. Are we our own superheroes? You know, are you waiting for someone to be that superhero? Um, which I, I think is also um, some of the lessons of what we can teach our children um, without talking about the big sort of blockbusters I've been watching some cartoons w w with my four-year-old right, yeah and, and PJ mask is an interesting one because mm. um, they, they they sort of are children and they they, they they'll take off their pajamas and they'll fight the crime and everything but within itself it also teaches things like teamwork and that if they fight if they find the evil character themselves they will fail but if they work together as a team they will win so it's on a very yeah. sort of small level that you teach yeah. things like that yeah. and yeah. i suppose that those are the things that we grew up learning as well you know you like don't go fight the the, the, the villain by yourself you can't do it you need to wait for your teammates and you know it, it zaps sort of on on a micro level, um, a, a good lesson to, to teach the children. Yeah, I guess they were, they've always been trying to teach moral lessons. Mm. But I feel like in the past, the uh, Jason, I think you're right, the, the lessons were very black and white, it was good versus bad. And I'm good, and he's bad. And mm. now you're safe. And before you weren't safe, whereas now mm. there, there seems to be a lot more ambiguity and yeah. superheroes even having self doubt. Yeah, definitely. And also even villains, villains needing a backstory too. villains needing a reason, you know, for, you know, like, sometimes you'll get discussions about like, uh, you know, the main arch enemy in the Avengers, Thanos, right, who, you know, his argument is almost like an environmental justice sort of argument, right, <laughs> that we're overpopulated, that we need to, you know, we have to make tough decisions, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and some people might say, oh, that's, that's something that can be understandable. You know, yeah. and so like people are looking for more nuanced kinds of stories. Um, but at the same time, I think there is still a sort of simplicity to the superhero story, which is the fact of superiority. 
the fact that, you know, at the end of the day, people are watching these these films and reading these comic books because of superpower, because the spectacle of that and that ability to win no matter what. And that in the end that they want that sort of assurance. And I think that, that there's something about that that sends out a certain value, you know, that, you know, winning still matters and that the and that really who we look up to are the people who are able to win and always able to win eventually. And um, I don't like think that's Harry changed. Potter, for example, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. you're never going to get a blockbuster, you know, superhero movie where the superhero fails or dies. <laughs> or, or dies. Right. Or well, maybe yeah. actually that would be yeah. quite tragic. I mean, they die. But, yeah, they do. You know, but they, yeah. but for a good reason. Yeah. Right? yeah. Or they die nobly. <laughs> they die yeah, yeah. doing something amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Just you know, getting into our idea of whether superheroes. Reinforce gender stereotypes, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. I'm sure they do or they have. Mm-hmm. I was looking at some of these, tr- some traits that they have, and there was some research done a few mm-hmm. years ago by some researchers at the University of Nevada in Reno, and they did a content analysis of, of 147 superheroes in 80 movies. And in terms of uh, gender, they found things like, like Noreen, what you were saying, females were more likely to work in a group while males were more likely to work alone. Um, males are more powerful, muscular, violent, and evil, while the females are more attractive, thin, usually sexy, innocent, afraid, and helpless. Um, I mean, so something like, something like that, do you think that was just subconsciously uh, written into their characters, or, or, or do you think this was even a conscious decision? Jason, what do you think? <laughs> I think sex sells. <laughs> I, I think stereotypes sell. I think that, you know, uh, especially, you know, if, it, okay, ma- narratives are always going to be, a, you know, made for popular entertainment in a certain sense, even whether that's, you know, the Ulysses and the Odyssey, you know, or an Achilles, or that's, you know, Wonder Woman today, right? And people are looking for something, not, I mean, they're looking for escapism, you know, and they're looking for that spectacle too. And, you know, it's much easier to go for that kind of lowest common denominator in order to ensure that your huge CGI budget will pay off. Um, but I, I do think we're seeing some differences too, though, that, you know, yes, the superhero must be super and a superheroine must be beautiful, right? But then there are different qualities of beauty that people are starting to kind of ask for. You know, there's much a much wider range of, or diversity of what beauty can be, of what kind of a superpower can be, you know, and who can who's allowed to be that. And I think that that's interesting, although at the same time, I still think that it, it still kind of portrays things as sort of black and white, you know, that the super is is valuable and that that's what we look to and people and their value for what they can do for, you know, not necessarily others, but also for themselves, too. Yeah, that's well, a I mean, what, sorry, what do you Jason. think? Sorry, 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 yeah. sorry Noreen, go ahead. I was going to say, it's so interesting that when Karen asked us who our superheroes are, we both sort of listed regular people, people who really didn't <laughs> have superpowers, well, and in women. their own ability, is a superpower. <laughs> and, that, and, and, and so this begs the question, you know, why are, are they truly great role models? Or should we be, you know, should we have regular people being a role model? Why should superheroes be a type of mm-hmm. role model? But I, I regret bringing this point up before the 2.30 news. <laughs> we're going to have to continue this train of thought and I see Karen you already have have a point to come back with so we'll get back uh, to this very interesting chat uh, with Dr. J 
Jason Ko from the Hong Kong Baptist University, along with Karen Ko just after the 2.30 news. For our listeners, uh, do stay with us uh, on Facebook. We're not going anywhere. We're just going to broadcast the news and we're going to come right back. So a quick look at the weather forecast for this afternoon and tonight. Uh, mainly cloudy with a few showers and a few isolated thunderstorms. A few showers and sunny intervals in the next few days. It's 28 degrees Celsius and the relative humidity is at 80%. It's 2.30, the news update with Anne-Marie Evans. Chief Secretary Matthew Jiang is leaving the government after almost five decades of service. Mr Jiang's post will be taken up by Secretary for Security John Lee, making Mr Lee the first Chief Secretary from a police background. At a press conference, Chief Executive Carrie Lam said she hoped society wouldn't speculate unnecessarily over the appointments. A police officer testifying on the third day of the trial of national security suspect Tong Ying Kit says Mr Tong's motorbike accelerated before running into three police officers. And mainland state media say a fire tore through a martial arts training centre in Henan province this morning, killing at least 18 people. We'll have more on those stories at three o'clock. Welcome back. You're listening to the Agenda Cafe this afternoon on RTHK Radio 3 with me, Karen Ko and Noreen Nia. And this afternoon, we are on Facebook Live as well. Uh, if you go to Noreen's Facebook page, Noreen Nia on RTHK Radio 3, you can see as well as hear us. And of course, if you have any comments or questions, we'd love for you to participate. Today, we're talking about superheroes and other fictional characters and how they serve as role models for us, but also how for many for many years they've fed gender stereotypes. And we're deep in discussion with Dr. Jason Koh, who is assistant professor in the Academy of Film at Hong Kong Baptist University. So Jason, I just want to pick up on another thing that came out of this research that I referred to before the break. You know, one thing which was in these superhero films, the males more often had super strength and resistance to injury, while females were more often able to manipulate elements like fire or, or the weather. I mean, why, why have that kind of difference? I mean, do you think there's, there's anything behind that? Oh, I definitely think there's a lot behind that. I think that's a lot linked to kind of our gender kind of uh, gen the gender roles that have been sort of uh, passed down, at least in our current kind of uh, cultural context. You know, um, one of the kind of uh, things that people say, you know, and I think Simone de Beauvoir talks about this in The Second Sex, but, you know, uh, men are always the doer. You know, men do and women exist. Women are simply are. <laughs> Right. And then um, and a lot of what women are is their their ability to uh, be by being what they are, kind of move the world around them. You know, so, for example, right, a woman like this is based on these stereotypes, right, is a woman's power is attraction. Right. And what is attraction? Attraction is being able to draw others towards you. Right. To attract them or to, you know, seduce or manipulate or allow them to, you know, control what's going on around, right? Whereas men, their power is seen as their ability to move others or move to move things with their own kind of ability, right? And so I think that that kind of stereotype already already feeds into a lot of this. You know, for example, if you think about it's like, you know, uh, a lot of times, a, a, you know, women who are super powered, you know, uh, today we, we call them like, you know, uh, super heroines, right? But back in like, you know, the 15th century, they were called witches, right? <laughs> or, <laughs> right? Sorceresses, you know? That's and so right. it's like, 
you know, we don't think of them as superheroines, but maybe today, you know, we could look at that, you know, like Scarlet, you know, the Scarlet, uh, Scarlet Witch, you know, as a sort yes. of major character who has this ability to, to move. And yet she's also seen as sort of succumbing to her, her emotions and her emotional vulnerability kind of makes her kind of um, unstable. You know, so that's and also like Jean Grey, for example. So these characters who are seen as like the the strongest of the women, you know, oftentimes their major vulnerability is their sort of emotional turbulence, <laughs> which, you know, is another, you know, huge kind of gender stereotype. Right. Whereas, in fact, you know, like who is the most powerful Marvel superhero? What? The Hulk. Right. <laughs> who can't right. control his temper. <laughs> right, right. You know, exactly. but, but people don't really, you know, you know, that's not really what's the. It's never the kind of central storyline, whereas mm-hmm. the central storyline oftentimes, even for superhero women, is their sort of emotional turmoil and the kind of things that they go through. Even Wonder Woman, you know, so it's kind of interesting. Yeah, they seem to be to have more ambivalence about them. So the fact that, for example, a, a female superhero can read other people's minds puts mm-hmm. her in a dilemma because yeah, yeah. <laughs> what is she supposed to do with that? Whereas mm-hmm. for the male superhero, it's like, that's bad. I just take my hammer and I crush it. And, yeah. It, yeah. and the deed is the deed is done. Yeah. Um, yeah. So and you definitely can see, too, how, like, on the one hand, that it really kind of feeds negatively into kind of uh, women's sort of expectations of themselves, you know, and but at the same time, it also debilitates men, too, because it says that they all they have to act that if there's no action to be taken, then they are, you know, completely vulnerable, that there's nothing that they, you know, like men always need something to do. And if they don't have something to do, and then there's something kind of very negative about that for them, they can't sit with that experience. <laughs> you know, Hulk never kind of like, oh, that's bad. And there's an ethical problem. Can I sit with this and and, and patiently think it through, you know, and handle this kind of emotional turmoil. Whereas yeah. in fact, he's, you know, it's, he's a hero when he smashes, right? Which is kind of, you know, interesting. And what about that point, you know, um, just linking superheroes, sending sort of the wrong message to to, to young boys, really, that you have to be aggressive or macho. um, And that's totally not what, I mean, toxic masculinity comes to mind. Mm -hmm. And for example, I'm sure you've all read articles about Iron Man, for example. I mean, he's a billion, billionaire (laughs) playboy, sarcastic, um, um, mocks woman, exploits woman. Um, I'm not saying all superheroes send that sort of message, but they do exist. And there are young people or people who look up to that. Um, What's your sort of assessment on on that, Jason? I mean, there's that appeal. What's the appeal? And is it sort of sending the wrong signal? Hmm. Do we all secretly aspire to be that sort of like billion, (laughs) billionaire (laughs) playgirl? You know, but I think Iron Man is also interesting. I mean, one, he does fit all these kinds of uh, normal stereotypes that, you know, we talk about of a billionaire playboy, you know, but also that he's supposed to be kind of uh, technologically superior. You know, that also kind of reflects our certain, you know, our, our the superheroes of our day now is like, you know, what, Elon, Elon Musk, Musk yeah. right? And, <laughs> and Steve Jobs, you yeah. know, and, you know, so like that, the kind of like the tech guy, you know, kind of stereotype is, is what that's, you know, sending forth. But in terms of signaling, it's, well, for me, it's always tough because it's like, on the one hand, it's like, 
are 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 people really just you know completely victim to the medium they watch the media they mm-hmm. watch you know mm-hmm. does this really describe who you does it really make you who you are and who you aspire to but at the same time it's like well the avengers gross like a billion plus dollars <laughs> you know what i mean you know so in terms of what's actually present and can be seen you know it, it is pretty dominant as well you yeah. know and then it's always a question right does society shape the movies or do the movies shape society right and the, everyone will be like oh it's ambivalent they shape each other you know but and then also these discussions that we're having right now is part of that shaping you know yeah. so you know uh <laughs> i if someone says, oh, I love Iron Man, I'm not going to be like, you're a sexist. <laughs> you're, you're a bad person, you know. But I, I think that, you know, it, it's good that there's a sort of ability to be critical about the kind of heroes that we put on screen and whether or not they are truly heroic. And I do think that, you know, the the films, they're trying to do that. You know, yeah. Now, whether I mean, or not that message comes across is different. You know? Yeah, maybe yeah. I should rephrase that. I mean, if you if we were to meet Iron Man in real life, we would probably think he was a bit of a jerk. We would, yeah. you know, the, the comments he right. made. But why is it that on the screen we uh, sort of make excuses and we and we like that character, we empathize mm-hmm. with that character? What's uh, wrong with us? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because we're all susceptible to this kind of flashy you know hollywood yeah. production yeah. and, and <laughs> disney does a really good job of that they have a lot yeah, of money yeah. but think, the other yeah. thing it just made me think of with with you know male superheroes i think you know ki- obviously for little kids they usually and i had three boys so you know my house was always full of batman and spider-man costumes because that's what they liked when they were little but i think as they get older as and as they become teenagers have a bit more cynicism then you find them admiring characters like spongebob mm. who oh. <laughs> is a complex character and lives in a kind of dysfunctional community and there's lots of weird stuff that happens or yeah. bart simpson you know so, yeah, yeah. so there's also i guess the yeah. the anti-hero side of yeah. things that yeah. we do have these characters that just represent the average person's struggle yeah, yeah. to, to yeah, live yeah. day by day family guy yeah. i do think that you know, with the kind of media inundation, you know, of these kind of stock characters, people want something different. And so they look to that antihero, like Deadpool, for example, is oh, yeah. incredibly popular in Hong Kong, you know, and this and the sort of uh, postmodern type of um, reflexivity where he comments on all the genre kind of tropes of these kind of shows. Um, but at the same time, though, you know, Deadpool still wins. Right. You know, he still has superpower. You know, he still is he still is the hero. And, um, you know, we're talking about whether or not we think these people are good people or bad people. And it really reminds me of sports. And I, I think that sports has a lot to do with kind of superhero kind of storylines, you know, um, especially because sports are a descendant, really, you know, of war stories. Right. You know, so the first first sports hero might have been Achilles, you know what I mean, or Hercules or something like that, you know, who can go to war and win. Right. And so we have this side of. um where we idolize, you know, these sports figures who are probably not really nice people. <laughs> you know, for example, like Michael Jordan, you know, if you watch that, you know, that that documentary about the last dance, he's he comes across as a real sociopath. You know what I mean? He would just do anything to win. Right. But then at the same time, our society, you know, uh, cares a lot about winning. Right. And there's something it's almost like there's an existential sort of investment that our heroes must be the ones who win. You know, um, 
because you know it's linked to these stories of war because if your hero was the one who lost well then your civilization is going to be conquered by the other group's hero you know so you know uh as as much as the gender the gender stereotypes may change over time whether that's captain marvel you know or black panther or you know hopefully we can talk about this you know some some of the new young people of color who are taking on the mantle of these superheroes there's still this emphasis on winning and the importance of that and for me i see that as almost the most pernicious kind of uh issue with superhero role modeling it's this issue is that you have to win at all costs or else you're not super or else you're not a hero and you're not worthy of being the main character in the story mm. Mm, yeah that's really interesting um i think you know when we look at um also uh, you, since you mentioned deadpool the other thing that came to mind is that he is winning even as a grossly disfigured person, uh, yeah. which you would never find among the female, you know, characters because mm. the female characters, d despite what they go through, they they all have to still look beautiful. Um, yeah. So so you know those yeah. stereotypes are kind of still different for for men and women. Um, but let's let's talk about some of those other newer characters because. Mm. They're definitely, I've noticed in the last 10 years, definitely a change in the way they're portrayed, the way mm. films are being marketed. Yeah. And, you know, if, if we start with, say, Katniss Everdeen and The Hunger mm. Games, you know, female hero heroine who's sacrificing herself for her family. And yeah. then mm. Noreen, you mentioned Frozen and the whole mm. plot twist that, yeah. you know, true love's kiss doesn't have to come from a man to free a woman. Um, so sorry for the spoiler there, but I didn't tell you what happened. But, but that, for me, that was absolutely revolutionary because I think that's the first time that narrative mm. has ever been told. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know, Jason. What do you think of some of the some of these newer stories that feature women doing things, you know, they don't haven't normally done or they haven't done in the past? And they grow well, better like in the box office <laughs> as well. For, for, yeah, I mean, yeah. it, it just shows that it's not just really girl. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, you know, films featuring women for women, yeah. you know, men and everybody seems to enjoy it as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that uh, the kind of uh, media revolution that we're seeing with, uh, with uh, uh, you know, what they, what they call like the long tail, where you get much more kind of diversity in the kind of representation because, you know, the audiences that are particular to that type of you know show or whatever are able to access it on netflix or on youtube or on all these other kind of streaming platforms so if you do make a television show that's specifically about like let's say a hong kong pakistani you know uh disc jockey yeah. <laughs> the viewer will find it yeah. And because the viewer can find it, then that show can be made. And so there's a greater diversity that's able to be kind of made. And then also a greater diversity of stories, you know. So kind of the origin stories of a lot of these kind of uh, young people of color, um, like uh, comics or stories, you know, um, are actually much more uh, linked to the stories of their cultural background, um, which I think is... Um, actually allows for a kind of greater diversity of, you know, storylines for people to watch, you know, like not everyone is heterosexual. You know, a lot of people have, you know, feelings for, you know, uh, same sex, you know, are non heteronormative. Yeah. yeah same sex yeah. couples and that kind of thing. And they can also be superheroes or the greatest relationship you can have in your life might be with your sister, as opposed to, you know, your boyfriend who you met, you know, 10 minutes ago. <laughs> right. right. You know, or, or your friends, 
you know, and I think that this kind of um, this kind of diversity is happening because people as consumers have more ability to say the kind of stories that they want to see and critique as well. You know, like Twitter is very powerful. <laughs> and, right. you know, um, if, if a viewer, if viewers say we don't want to watch the show and we're going to kind of blacklist it, that's a lot of power in that. Yeah. You know, so, you know, um, we might be seeing more of how society is shaping media because of through these other kinds of platforms, which yeah. I think is Cool. And it is, Noreen, to your point, it is great to see that uh, these new superheroes and especially the female ones are popular across all genders. Like Captain Marvel mm -hmm. of 2019 it was very different because she was serious and she was athletic and she didn't wear a costume that showed her a lot of her body. You never yeah. saw, you know, her butt, you know, as a featured shot. It was yeah. kind of different for, for a superhero movie. Yeah. Um, and coming out later this year, which is something I just learnt yesterday, is Ms. Marvel, which is a new um, superhero who is a Pakistani-American from Jersey City, and her name's Kamala Khan. Um, Jason, do you know anything about, about this? I, I don't know much about Ms. Marvel particularly, but I do know that Marvel, especially in their comic books, have been kind of... Uh, moving moving towards a sort of new generation of young characters who um where the former characters you know who were typically white males have uh started to share their powers so for example like miles morales right you know in this into the spider-verse you know yes. is a new spider-man character um you know i guess miss marvel is one uh, another example is the new hulk is amadeus cho which is a korean american you know um and uh, black panther's uh, obvious was like you know takes the mantle of that you know kind of these uh minority characters who are taking on they are the new super powered kind of characters and they get to be the central uh figures and then their storylines get to kind of talk more about you know instead of some old form of americana you know, whether that's like with Superman who grew up on a farm in Iowa or something like that to, you know, Miles Morales who grew up, you know, on the subways in New York, you know, and his favorite thing is to go tagging with his uncle or something like that. So it creates, a, it's like still very American, but then a different type of American kind of story. And I think it does reach out to more care, more people. Um, so uh, I guess we'll see where that goes, you know, but yeah. also I think um, another thing that's interesting too is that, because these these uh, comic book franchises are no longer so regional, they're very international and very global. They have to care about the audiences from not just the United States, but also from China, for example. You know, right. and so even like a character like Captain Marvel, even though in America, you know, it might be heralded as oh, you know, um, uh, Brie Larson doesn't have to be typically beautiful. You know, she can be this kind of punk character with this cool hair, you know, and be super powerful. Um, but then there were a lot of uh, bloggers in China who said, oh, she's not beautiful enough to be such a superhero. You know, we don't really like her. You know, why Why is it this way? You know, so, you know, you're always going to have this kind of uh, back and forth. Yeah, and, that, and um, that back and forth kind of reminds me of poor, poor um, Simu Liu, who's going to play Shang-Chi and the legend of the mm -hmm. Ten Rings, because mm -hmm. a lot of netizens in China say he's really ugly. He's too ugly to, <laughs> to play the lead role. And that's kind yeah. of... I mean, yeah. that people are focusing on his looks rather than the achievement yeah. or, yeah. yeah. yeah or it's, acting skills. Or acting skills, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, it, I mean, honestly, it's hard. It is hard to get away from the looks when it comes to superheroes. I think because maybe we've just been so conditioned that 
they should look a certain way. You know, they should be strong and muscular and the women should be sexy and scantily clad. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I mean, I don't know how long it's going to take for that to, to change. Yeah. Yeah. And also as a representation of your group, you know, so for Simu Lu, like he, not only does he represent, you know, Shang-Chi, but he also has to represent all of China, which is ridiculous. Right? But that's how he's seen. But then at the same time, you know, compare it to like an Olympian, you know, like say like Sun Yang or something like that, right? It's a huge note of pride that this person represents our nation or our people or our country and is going to go out there and win. You know? Yeah. So and, and, and you know, we don't and look still, like him. He's too ugly to look yeah, like us kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Or, you know, is he good looking enough for us to yeah. represent us in our power? You know, so there is a sense of nationalism that is linked to these kind of mythical stories. Yeah. Absolutely. Which is it's it's tough to get away from. Yeah. Jason, do you know, uh, for example, which have been the most successful or most popular sort of su superhero franchises in China? Do they like a certain storyline oh, or a certain character? It must be the Monkey King, right? Yeah. How many Monkey Kings have yeah. there been? <laughs> yeah, Monkey King. Yeah, Monkey King is such an interesting story too. You know, because it it originates as a South Asian you know, uh, kind of myth, Hanuman, the monkey, the monkey God, right? And hmm. the monkey king's story is that he goes to, he goes to the West, right? You know, so he, for, for people in China, the West is India. To get the Lotus Sutra, you know, but it, it also does follow a similar trajectory as the kind of hero with a thousand faces where he goes out and he's, he's, uh, he misbehaves. Hmm. He's not like a good boy, right? But then he meets, um, uh, Tripitaka, who is a who is a who is a Buddhist monk, monk yeah. who, and he must guide Tripitaka, and Tripitaka sort of engages with him morally. At the same time, though, the Monkey King is just just far and away superior, you know, warrior to everyone. But in the end, he still meets his match in like Buddha, who is able to kind of humble him. So you know, there is this kind of sense that like um, this type of character who is you know he may his real flaw is that he needs to get his morality right but in terms of his actual skill level he's unbeatable you know mm. um so that's one storyline that i think is really dominant you know a character also is the characters from romance of the three kingdoms you know um all of the generals you know a lot of times it has to do with war and battle um and character yeah, um, flaw as well. They have to have a character flaw because yes, if they're too yes. perfect, then it's they're not yeah. relatable, and people don't like watching them. It's almost, yeah, yeah, like, a, a, like an Achilles heel. Yeah, like right? an Achilles heel. Yeah, yeah. yeah right, there always right. has to be some sort of. Yeah. So then I'm wondering, you know, when we still for our children revert back to a lot of the very traditional characters, just because there's so much available they're they're easy they're relatable all their friends tend to know all these characters so can we do you see like a revision going on for example all the disney princesses do, are their stories going to be revised because you know they're generally kind of weak and in trouble and need a man to help them out um i mean they have been uh you know uh you're seeing uh, more and more characters you know where like uh they're not supposed or not forget about supposed to but the way that they've been rendered more recently have been more kind of a uh, feminist, I guess, you know, and um, I think it's interesting to note not just which, which films get uh, uh, is also which films get remade, you know, for example. So like, for example, uh, Beauty and the Beast gets remade as a live action, you know, but the little mermaid will not be, I think, you know, unless they can find some way to give her more agency. 
right? Because The Little Mermaid is the perfect example of a character who surrenders her agency, literally her voice, mm. in order to get with the man. <laughs> and she cannot use she cannot use her voice to get the man like she has to just be beautiful and the man has to fall in love with her you know and there's a sort of weird uh almost rapey kind of yeah. thing where it's like you, he has to kiss you and yeah. you know kiss the girl you know that a lot of people would not be okay with today and that that you know speaks to something and then the the character that everyone loves is bell right yeah. the one who yes. you know pushes off gaston who's some you know hunk who is too full of himself loves to read you know so who are the new characters that women are sort of um you know attracted to you know because women make up a huge part of the consumer base mm. but at the same time again it's still this issue of empowerment you know it's like you can only admire someone who's powerful and um there's a lot of kind of pushback too you know it's like do we have do our heroes have to be people who are powerful you know, and that's still something that's kind of I'm I'm trying to think about right now. Yeah, um, I'm, I mean, right. Noreen, I'm thinking for you, so for you, you obviously parents control what goes in front of their kids when they're at home. You can't really control what happens, say, when they're at school. But, you know, how, how would you select characters you want to put in front of your young daughters? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, so we limit screen time for the time being, but I don't know how much more we can hold off. Uh, Frozen is just sort of the, the one that she likes to watch and PJ Masks and Paw Patrol. So I, I, I haven't really looked too much into how they'll affect her uh, development. But so far, I think, you know, as long as it doesn't have any sort of scary scenes, um, the, the trouble with them is they're not the the TV series. They're not films, so it can change from time to time. There are some episodes when I think, oh, that's a bit weird, um, or, and then there are other episodes where I think, oh, they're promoting teamwork and they're not selfish. Um, but one thing I do keep a, a lookout is the, the the characters for the villain, because the villains mm. are also the ones that are sort of overlooked. You know, you're looking at the main characters, but sometimes the villains can sub subconsciously feed in some bad information or I don't know some sort of um, like it, it can promote moodiness sometimes like she'll, she'll watch something I mean th I'm talking on a very micro level probably not applicable to, to, the, to, to this program but for, for parents of really young children uh, there are the, the villains who are the moodiness the emo-ness that the kids sometimes absorb that and I don't know how to reverse that you know, that there needs to be some sort of positive character there to be like, no, you know, it's okay to solve your own problems. There's no need to take it out on other people all the time. I don't know. Maybe I've revealed too much of my parenting struggles now. <laughs> <laughs> what are yeah, your thoughts, I mean, Karen? How did you censor some some TV screens for, for, for your uh, TV shows for your kids? Um, I mean... It's really difficult. It was really difficult because actually, when you think about it, one of the main traits of traditional superhero films, even comic books, is the fight, right? The physical fight. It's the kapow, boom, you know, that, that they used to write in the word balloons. Yeah. And so there was always fighting going on in these sort of stories. Yeah. And you sort of expect it and then kids also expect it that the hero at some point is going to have to especially the male hero is going to have to physically fight the enemy and you're you're doing they're seeing this at a time when you're also trying to teach them you know try not to fight 
but then they see these things happening on a screen. You're or, right. My right? eldest wants to fight her, the, the, the youngest one, and the youngest one is just 20 months. How can she fight you? Doesn't even know where her <laughs> nose is. Um, so it is, it is tricky to, to balance that. And, because you know, funnily it. enough, when my kids were little, one of their favorite cartoons was the Powerpuff Girls. I didn't even really know who they were, but we used to have Cartoon Network and they stumbled across the Powerpuff Girls. And I think just because they were funny and very energetic, there were three of them and there were three of us and three of my sons in the family. They really liked the Powerpuff Girls, but the Powerpuff Girls were always fighting. You know, they were always fist fighting with with the bad guys. There's one underdog that I want to sort of mention, and it's that's Mira, the Royal Detective. It's a really cute cartoon series where the, this Indian um, girl, she's a detective, and she uses her intelligence to solve mysteries for the royal family in India. So I think that's actually quite a quite an interesting one that I've been watching from time to time with with my oldest. So I'll I'll, I'll say no more. I think I've revealed my <laughs> my childish self how I like to watch cartoons. Um, and a whole lot of Disney Channel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. This program is not sponsored by them. <laughs> not sponsored by anyone, yes. Yeah. But, you know, I think just going back to where we started, I think it's very interesting that both of you chose women as your role models. I mean, women you knew. Um, and I actually have rarely heard of people choosing a male superhero as their role model, maybe because there is that ambivalence. And when you think about actors who have won Academy Awards, when they go up to say thank you, a lot of the time they say they thank their mothers. Yes. So, you know, maybe female role models are, you know, female, just women are better superheroes in a way. Yeah, I, I, would, I would tend to, to say that. Well, that might be a, a topic for another day, whether women are the better superheroes, which I'm sure they are. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. I'd really like to say a big thank you uh, to Dr. Jason Ko from the Hong Kong Baptist University. Thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. And thank you so much to you, Karen Ko, for um, arranging this great topic and for our listeners for, for joining in this afternoon. And I hope to Thanks, see you guys Karen. next time. Thank you very much. Thank you.